Okay, we are back for part two of our Jack the Ripper episode. B&J here, um, celebrating our one-year anniversary. Very, very exciting. Didn't um, even get me anything. I Well, hey, maybe I... You remembered I didn't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> therefore, so, therefore, you should have got me something. I should have. I should have, yeah. You should have. <laughs> I never actually see you in person anymore, though. <laughs> No, you don't. Hey, this is just as good. Yeah. We can see each other. The comfort of our own home. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like to leave my couch. Come on. Yeah, yeah true. <laughs> so, yes, we're talking about Jack the Ripper tonight. And um, we, in part one, we discussed the murders, the victims, um, just basically set up the scene as far as what Whitechapel looked like in Victorian London. If you want to, go back and have a listen if you haven't already. Otherwise, we're going to dive straight into suspects because there are rather a lot, I have to say. So the first thing I want to do is go through the profile because the FBI did actually make a profile of Jack the Ripper. Now, they feel that he was a white male, 28 to 36 years old, living in or working in Whitechapel. He had an absent or passive father figure in childhood likely had a profession that allowed him to express violent tendencies, probably stopped murdering because he was arrested or thought he was close to being so, likely has some sort of physical defect that he's angry about. Um, so, yeah, that is the profile of Jack the Ripper. So, and also we know um, we've got some eyewitness testimony as well. He seemed like quite a short man, fair skin, light-coloured moustache, tended to wear crazy hats. So, look, there are so many suspects. Um, if you want to go and spend days and days and days looking at them all, go for it. But I have, you know, picked ones that at least sound semi-valid. So, you know, there's a lot of suspects that you hear over and over with this case, um, but they just it just has no validity to me. Like one guy, he killed his wife by stabbing her. That, to me, does not a Jack the Ripper make. Another one was a doctor that killed himself after the murders. So they went, oh, he was a doctor. So he had anatomical knowledge and he died after the murders. You know, like there's a bit of a stretch for me in those suspects. Mm. So who could this guy be? Let's get right into it. Firstly, I just want to get one theory out of the way because I don't put too much stock in it. And that is the theory of Jill the Ripper. Um, some people hypothesize that because these women weren't raped, could have been a woman, maybe a midwife, given the anatomy knowledge. Um, you know, I'm just going to kibosh this one right here. What are your thoughts on this theory? You can see my face. Yeah, I can see your face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You didn't see my face when you said it. <laughs> I've never heard it. I was like, what? What the? Yeah. Whoa, I have so many chins. Jeez. Um, <laughs> like no no just because why does violence against women like attacks against women murdering of women always have to have a sexual assault element to it and just because they were prostitutes yeah exactly I mean like you probably no they were easy easy targets you know yeah and you know what just because there's not sexual assault doesn't mean it's not a sexually motivated attack. Exactly. 
I mean, most of the women were stabbed in their genitals and even just that act of stabbing is a violent penetration, you know? Yeah. So I'd argue that this was actually a sexually motivated attack series with potentially the attacker experiencing, you know, shall we say, a later on sexual release when he was in the private yeah. of his own home. Yeah. 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 There's a lot of different types of sexual gratification, unfortunately, in this world and the world back then, in the world in general. There are some truly messed up sick people out there and you'd be pretty disgusted and blown away and just some people wouldn't even be able to process it and their minds would implode um, at what people can actually become aroused from. So, exactly. And yeah. it's clear that he knew that he had a short period of time to do these attacks in and he was trying to inflict the most damage he could in that time. And, you know, I know that a penis can be a violent weapon, but it's not going to cause as much damage physically as knives. So, yeah. you know. Um, and, you know, all these women were last seen with a man right before the deaths, which, again, like I said in the last episode, isn't a huge deal because they were prostitutes, so they were probably mm-hmm. with men all night. But, you know, nobody ever saw a woman talking to them or anything like that. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I'm not a fan of that theory, as you can probably tell. So let's look at the most well-liked suspects in this case. Well, to start off, we've got Prince Albert Victor, who was the Queen's grandson at the time. So the Queen being Queen Victoria. His dad would go on to become King Edward VII, and he was known as Eddie to those close to him. By accounts, he was, well, an unintelligent, spoiled, lazy brat who wasn't really interested in doing anything. Some suggested he was actually intellectually impaired. He wasn't suspected at the time, of course, you know, that would have been a huge scandal. The theory was only suggested in the 1960s when a book was written about the case and actually put him forward as the culprit. Apparently, Eddie contracted syphilis that went to his brain. Um, His doctor, Sir William Gull, ended up writing about the case and he himself seems to have believed that the murders were perpetrated by the crazed prince. Now, Eddie was taken to a mental hospital after the final murder where he lived his final years out, dying in 1892. So the theory that I said at the end of the first episode. Yeah, going to a mental institution, yep. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I didn't say that in the last episode because of that. I actually did not know that. So, yeah, exactly. It's definitely a possibility, I think. Yeah. Um, So William Gull, the doctor, I don't know why he thought that Eddie might have been the killer, but he himself sort of pointed it out in his case notes, which is what the author of this book was using to write his book. And yeah, he did, the murders did finish after he went to a mental institution. So I that's guess, a big thing for him, for him to write in case I notes. know, I know. Look, it does sound very com- compelling at first, but people have looked into it a little bit further, obviously, um, and found some holes in the story. Firstly, the author of the book died not long after and his family burned William Gull's papers. So we're going by what he said he read in William Gull's papers. I don't know why his family would burn those. I mean, they're they're like historical records and that sounds a little bit shady to me. I mean, maybe they didn't say what the author said that they said is all I can say. 
Um, so we can actually never really know if they even existed in the first place. How did he have them? Yeah, well, he got hold of them somehow and apparently found this amazing new information that pointed towards the prince being the killer. Um, but to me, if I was the family, I'd be more like, no, look, we've got the papers that shows validity to what he was saying, you know. Hmm. Also, William Gull died in 1890, two years before Eddie. So how would his papers contain details of his death? Because William Gull died before Eddie. So that makes it a little bit shady. Also, his, he was a royal. His whereabouts were noted all the time, right? And, you know, royals are people who don't ever get a moment to themselves. There is always someone with them. Yeah, but they're also allowed to do a lot of shit and get away with it. This is true. This is true. One last thing, though, is that they did go on and discover that he wasn't even in London at the time of the murders. So um, at least that's what the records say anyway. So although it sounds like... Oh, okay. The records. Yeah. The records say... The records. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think? What do you think? Like a certain, like another certain prince that's living around these days, you know, not even friends with them. Mm. Doesn't even know them. Doesn't even Went to sweat. Wedding. What are you talking about? What? Doesn't even sweat. What are you talking about? Yeah. Far <laughs> out. Yeah. Um, well, of course I'm going to like this theory because it's my theory. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so far I'm with it. Okay. You're there and you, we all know I love a conspiracy theory. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, if you want to go down the royals, rabbit yeah. hole yeah that's a whole young prick and touchables yeah, yeah right yeah all right we'll put a pin in that one then all right so our next suspect is joseph barnett who was the on again off again boyfriend of mary kelly the final ripper victim either that or he was a regular client nobody really knows 100 percent. they had lived together though for a time and he was known to give her money so could go either way. She could have just been like a regular that he let live with him for a while or I don't know, whatever. He saw her the day before her death and by account, they seemed to be on good terms at that point. Now, he did fit the physical description of the killer. He was five foot seven, age 30, fair complexion, and a moustache. But really, I reckon if you were to go back to Victorian England, this description would probably fit about 95% of men back then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. Um, and obviously. Not like today. It's not like today. Like think about how different. Everyone looks, yeah. Everyone looks. Like they're not all wearing the same. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So obviously the killings did cease once Mary was killed as well. Also, her door was locked from the inside. So either the killer had a key or he reached through the broken window. There was a broken window and locked it. Now, Barnett did have a key to the room. It's the theory of why, though. It's thought that he wasn't happy with her and he wasn't really happy with her line of work. So the theory is that he thought that if he started killing prostitutes, she'd be scared enough to stop doing what she was doing. Um, And when she didn't, he just went and killed her. That's pretty extreme. I feel like that's a bit of a jump. Like, broke up with her. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, the issue I have with this is that these killings were not just like random, I'm going to kill someone killings. Yeah. They were full of rage. Yeah. You know, whoever did them 
hated these women for whatever reason. So mm. he did fit the profile, though. He he ticked off a lot of boxes on the FBI profile. But I don't know. What do you think? It just seems a bit extreme to me. Yeah, too extreme. Yeah, it's a lot. I mean, it's one thing to kill someone. But you really have to have the stomach for it to do the things that he did to these women. Yeah, no, that's, yeah. So our next suspect is Severin Klozowski, who also went by the name George Chapman in later years. He was a Polish surgeon who moved to London in late 1887, where he took a job in a barber shop in Whitechapel. Now, did you know that barbers were the surgeons back then? So you went, the surgeons who did surgery on people were not doctors, they were barbers. Okay. Because they had the razors and cutting tools, I suppose. But okay. being a surgeon was not the same as being a doctor back then. So they called them barber surgeons. Just a little tidbit there for you. He moved with his wife to America in 1891. So he was in Whitechapel when the murders occurred, but so were 80,000 other people as well. He did have surgery skills, but most interestingly, it seems he killed all three of his wives over the years. He ended up being executed in 1903. Now, of course, you know, we have to look at the fact that he killed his wives. You know, he obviously had an issue with women, but he ended up poisoning them, which is a lot different to evisceration and mutilation, of course. So I don't know. I don't think that these killers change their MO like that, not in that much of an extreme way. No. Yeah. So, yeah, I didn't really see a link there. I no. mean, pretty awful to kill all three of your wives, yeah, but it's not like that's the same as walking the streets and killing prostitutes in such a horrible way, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so. Now, one suspect that I really liked for quite a while was James Maybrick, who was the author of The Diary of Jack the Ripper. Have you heard about that? No. This book came out in the 90s, and I still actually have a copy of it. So let's just say that if it's real, then we know who the killer is. It's 100% James Maybrick. And this is why I liked it for so long. So James Maybrick was a cotton merchant and was married to Florence, who ended up actually murdering him with arsenic in 1889, a crime for which she was charged with and spent 14 years in prison for. So he kept a diary. And it was in 1992 when a man named Michael Barrett came into possession of it and he published it. Until this point, James Maybrick had never even been on the radar. So the only thing we have to go by is this diary, which goes into a lot of detail about the murders. Um, so it's lit quite literally this guy's diary. Um, so the reason why he said he was murdering women, well, Florence was having an affair with someone from Whitechapel, um, but not Whitechapel in London, Whitechapel in Liverpool, uh, a long way away from London. So that somehow made him want to kill prostitutes in Whitechapel in London. So it's a bit of a stretch there, I think. Mm. So that strangeness aside, though, like I said, it's got a lot of detail. It does have a couple of inaccuracies that were actually reported incorrectly in the media, though. So that does suggest that someone perhaps has forged this because they've taken the information from the media and it was reported wrong. So they've put it in the diary like that. Yeah. So the jury is really out on this with ripperologists. And yes, ripperologists is a thing. They all seem to be 50-50 on the diary. Uh, I guess it gets kind of less and less over. Do you have to study to become a ripperologist? Yeah, what does one have to do to become a ripperologist, I wonder? 
And what do you do if it ever gets solved? Yeah, your whole your whole life just dissolves. Your existence is done. Yeah, you just don't matter anymore. Your job here is done. Mm. It's just wrapped up in a neat little package. It's very convenient. And like I said, convenient. it's real. It's, there's no doubt. Now, mm. Michael Barrett did come out and confess at some point that he forged it, but then he retracted his confession. And his wife actually backed him and said that the diary had been in her family's possession since World War II. So there's there's question marks above it, let's just say that. Why would you say admit that it you forged it and then retract that you forged it? That's w- weird. Yeah, so obviously people have taken this very seriously and there's been a lot of scientific analysis done on it. And it does seem as though it is from that era. So the question is, is it an, a forgery from that era, like someone actually forged it back then? Or is it like the fantasy of someone who actually wished, wished at the time that he was the killer, maybe? OJ Simpson when he wrote. Yeah, if I did it. If I did it. Yeah, yeah. that's it. Um, I mean, I didn't do it, but this is how I would have done it if I did do it. But I didn't do it. I didn't do it, but, yeah. If so. I did, it would be like this. Yeah, I know. Ridiculous, right? Yeah, yeah. Strangely, though, something else would come into play to link Maybrick to the killings, though. In 1993, a man named Albert Johnson came across an antique pocket watch with the signature J. Maybrick inside, along with I Am Jack. It was dated back to that era, so it was authentic. And then also scratched into the inside of the watch was the initials of all five Ripper victims as well. So that was strange and a little bit compelling. Some people have compared the writing to known writing samples of Maybrick and say that they don't actually match, though. So people have dug a lot into this, right? Um, They've actually really, really tried to confirm or deny it. So there seems to be a lot of information for and against it. How do you even find someone's writing? On legal documents and stuff. That long ago. Yeah, I don't know. But the thing is, when you're signing legal documents, usually only writing your name, which might look different to the rest of your writing. I don't know. Yeah. So although I really liked this theory, like when the book came out, I don't know, I I guess I've started to doubt it more over the years. What do you think about it? It's just too convenient. Wraps it all up in a nice little bow, doesn't it? Yeah. The watch is pretty weird, though, you've got to say. Yeah, but again, like, where did it come from? Yeah. Yep. Just randomly, where did it, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty groundbreaking when it all came out in the 90s, though. People got very excited about it, myself included. So our next suspect came to the public's eye in 2002 when author Patricia Cornwall wrote her book, Portrait of a Killer, Jack the Ripper, Case Closed. Do you know about Patricia Cornwall? Have you heard of her? Yes, name rings a bell. Yeah, she's a um, like a crime writer, but she quite often tries to match real cases. So it's like, this is a fictionalised version of what I think happened, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. So she wrote this book as a non-fiction book, sort of saying like it's like a dramatised version of what she thought she had found evidence about. Yeah. She puts forth Walter Sickert, a painter in the area at the time. Now, her reason for this was that was because his paintings had quite misogynistic undertones. She even goes on to suggest that some of his paintings and sketches 
show women laying in the same poses as the victims. Like she has gone and looked at his paintings and like gone full peg on every single detail. She says that she had one of the stamps from the Ripper letters tested and it was very, very degraded. So she could only get mitochondrial DNA. And it suggests that the donor had similarities with Walter Sickert, but also with up to 10% of the population because mitochondrial DNA is a little bit less specific than other types of DNA. And also, we don't even know whether those letters really were Jack the Ripper, right? Like, you know, you could be taking DNA from anyone. I mean, really, all it says is that Sickert couldn't be excluded, really, to me. Not very much of a concrete evidence situation, I feel. But she made a book about it and, you know, put everything behind it. So I don't know. Now, speaking of DNA, we are then brought to our next suspect, a man called Aaron Kosminski. Now, in 2014, a Finnish molecular biologist, Jari Luhelanen, sorry if I've mispronounced that, ran the DNA again from this, this time from a shawl that was taken from one of the murder scenes. And this was the shawl of Catherine Eddowes. Now, the mitochondrial DNA apparently matched DNA from his family line of descendants. Now, I actually remember when all of this happened because it wasn't that long ago. Do you remember this when it was all in the media? Like, guess what? They found out who Jack the Ripper is. They've got DNA evidence. It's so exciting. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and I was like, well, let's just take a breath here and have a look at what we've actually got. I mean, that makes me sceptical from the start, right? So what are your first thoughts when you think about this situation taking DNA from Catherine Eddowes' shawl that was found near her body? What are some issues that we have with this? She was a prostitute and she's been near lots and lots of males in a time where I'm guessing she probably doesn't get to wash her clothing between every single job, so to speak. Yeah, so that, that was my first thought when I heard about this was that, like, how much DNA must be on her clothes? Like, yeah, yeah. Come on, like, yeah. Now, no one has said what the source of the DNA was, and I feel like if it was blood, blood they would have said that. They haven't yeah. said it was that, so I'm assuming it was other bodily fluids. Yeah. Um, you know, which, let's face it, could have come from anyone. Um, yeah. So also there's the whole um, is this actually Catherine Eddowes' shawl question and also the fact that many people had handled the damn thing over the years as well. Yeah. So to me it's not really a slam dunk as far as DNA goes. But who was Aaron Kosminski? Well, interestingly, he was a suspect at the time and the police actually saw him as quite a strong suspect at the time. Now, it should be noted that he was a Polish Jewish immigrant, so this would have no doubt been a factor in the them painting him with this brush. Mm. However, there does seem to be evidence that he had a strong hatred for women, especially prostitutes, and was quite a violent guy. He did have multiple admissions to psychiatric hospitals over the years as well. By the sounds of it, his actions, like the professionals believe that they have now decided that he was actually like schizophrenic, paranoid, delusional. Mm. He would be put into a psych hospital for the last time in 1894, where he stayed until his death in 1919. Still 1894 is quite a few years after the last murder and he sounds like he's quite a mentally unwell unstable person so I question whether that sort of person would have been able to stop murdering people you know yeah yeah 
not for that long. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think it's important to note that despite this rumour that he was violent and misogynistic, it was specifically stated in his medical records that he was never classified as a homicidal person or even a danger to others. So I don't know whether that misogynistic, homicidal, violent label was something that was given by the police because they were just racist. Um, because I think medical records can probably be trusted a little bit more than that. Hmm. So, yeah, what do you think about him? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to. I don't think he could have just suddenly stopped like that and not have committed again from the time of the last murder to the time he was locked away. Yep. Not for him to have been admitted to a psychiatric hospital and then stayed there until 1894. 1894 he went in? Yes. Yeah. And, yeah, and then never came out. Yeah. For you to be locked up for that many years and not be released, Hmm. I just don't think you're mentally well enough to commit all those murders and then just suddenly stop. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I feel like there would have been a lot of um, racism and painting him with that sort of brush by the police just because that's what they did back then. Um, So we can't actually know how violent he actually was, really. Another person on the suspect list is James Kelly. In 1883, he murdered his wife by stabbing her in the neck and was afterwards classified as insane and committed to the Broadmoor Asylum. Now, he escaped early 1888, right before the murders started. Now, historians have looked into him quite closely, as apparently he perfectly fits the profile. They also claim that he moved to the USA and was responsible for a number of murders there as well. So eventually in 1927, he turned himself into the Broadmoor Asylum, where he died two years later. So interestingly, maybe a possibility but does anything actually place him in Whitechapel? And I, I, it's pretty much the consensus that the killer would have had to have been a local, like some, someone that could just like escape to their house really quickly without being seen. Um, and, you know, it never, it never suggested that he ever lived anywhere near there. So I think it's another case of here we've got a guy that's been violent towards a woman and is in a mental institution and escaped at the right time that doesn't actually have any evidence as far as the the murders go. Uh, yeah, what do you think? No. Nah. It's very convenient, I think. It's just like yeah. a... So many of these are just circumstantial. And also shows how many bad dudes there were around back then. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of suspects going abroad, we have to... Go to our next person, and that is Herman Mudgett, also known as H.H. Holmes. Have you heard of H.H. Holmes? Um, Have I heard of H.H. Holmes? No. Yeah, okay. So he was believed to be the first American serial killer and was potentially responsible for as many as 200 people being killed. Holmes had completed a medical degree, so was technically a doctor, Although I'm not sure how much he actually worked as one. He was quite well off and ended up just like building a literal murder castle in America. He would get people into the house where there was rumoured to be like trapdoors and gas chambers and torture chambers and stuff. So he was a real psycho sort of guy. It has come out, though, that it's probably not 
as bad as all of that. I think there's been a lot of hyperbole over the years and beating up of what. I mean, it sounds like he was a serial killer. Sounds like he was a pretty bad guy, but I think that probably things have been inflated over the years. Um, he did. Yeah, exactly. He did kill a lot of people, though. Um, although historians do argue how many exactly. So, how did he get embroiled in the Jack the Ripper story? Well, some investigations were done, and it seems that Holmes had quite the paper trail throughout the life, throughout his life. Um, he moved around quite a bit, did a lot of things, and you can pretty much track his entire life. But there is a gap between 1888, 1889, where there's just nothing. There's no evidence of where he was or what he was doing. There was also a ship's log found dated shortly after the last murder with H. Holmes travelling from the UK to the US. Now, linguistic experts have also pointed out that the Dear Boss letter had quite a few language quirks that were common to the American language at the time, or the American dialect at the time. They also looked at witness testimonies of 13 people that potentially saw the killer and got a sketch artist to put them all together. And it actually does look a lot like H.H. Holmes. Also, of course, Holmes would have had medical training. Uh, Now, this is all very interesting, but entirely circumstantial. Again, nothing links him to Whitechapel at that time. Also, Holmes tended to kill for reasons of personal game, like he would collect insurance money and rob people and that sort of thing. So unless the Whitechapel murders were just like a practice run, the MO is completely different as far as I can see. What do you think? Yeah, again, just try people trying too hard to make something out of nothing. Hmm. I don't buy it. Yeah, it's convenient. I mean, it's a great story, right? Like, it is a great story, but that's the thing. I feel like that's, that's all it really is, is a story. Hmm. Exactly. The travelling serial killer. Yeah. Look, I think that the Ripper murders were done by someone who hated women. Like, I mean, Holmes was clearly like a narcissistic psychopath, but the murders never had that same level of frenzy. Yeah. Uh, You know, probably probably a no from me. Now, there was another travelling suspect who actually ended up in Australia. Recently... Author Gary Linnell wrote a book called The Devil's Work that put forth the idea that a man named Frederick Deeming was actually Jack the Ripper. Now, Deeming was a serial killer. In 1891 in Liverpool, Deeming murdered his first wife, Marie, and their four young children and buried them under his house, laying concrete on top. He then fled to Australia. A year later, he would murder his next wife, Emily, and bury her under the house as well in Melbourne, and concrete over the top of her. By the time police caught up to Deeming, he was in Southern Cross in WA, 400 kilometres east of Perth, where he was waiting for the arrival of his new fiancée, Kate, to arrive and start her life with him. He had also, interestingly, just purchased a shit tonne of concrete. So we have a bit of like a MO going on there that doesn't sound like Jack the Ripper to me. Yeah, yeah. He was sent back to Melbourne where he was hanged in 1892. Now, why is he a ripper suspect, obviously? We have to ask that question. Yeah. Once he was executed, his picture found its way to the newspapers in London where a woman recognised him as a man she had seen in 1888 in London's East End. She said that she had actually been with him hours before the day after the double murder event. 
So if she is correct, we can place him in the area at the time of the murders. She said also that he was quite an agitated guy and seemed to know a lot about the murders and be really, really interested in them. Now, he's pretty crazy. <laughs> he went on to claim before he was killed that the ghost of his dead mother was like telling him to kill people. That's why he was doing it. Uh, you know, this may have been due also to the fact that he did have syphilis in his brain, like a lot of people back then. So he told doctors that he got it from a prostitute. And after that, he would go around London with a gun and a knife and look for that specific prostitute that he decided had given him syphilis um, and try and kill her. But he never found her. There have also been claims that letters from him were found in Catherine Eddowes' things. So again, a lot of circumstantial evidence. But this guy we can actually place in the time if that woman's account is to be believed. He did brag to fellow prisoners that he was Jack the Ripper, but he never made a confession. So there's that as well. What do you think about him? Not his MO. Yeah. Killing your entire family and burying them under concrete. Not the same as eviscerating someone, right? Yeah. Nah. I mean, he had a brain illness. Like he was bragging that he was getting that he was Jack the Ripper and that his mum was telling him to kill people and stuff. Like, I don't know, for, I don't know why, but I feel as though whoever was Jack the Ripper had a level of control as well as being frenzied, if you know what I mean. Like, they could go from doing that back to their life. Yeah. Yeah. And not be sort of like that day-to-day loose cannon that you think, oh, yeah, Jack the Ripper, that's that crazy guy that lives next door. You know, like, I feel like he would have potentially have been a bit more of a quote-unquote, normal guy during the day. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. don't know about that one. That's the most recent theory, though. I think that like Holmes, we have, like, a bad guy. And, in fact, more evidence that he may have been in London at the time, like I said, but the MO is totally different. So, yeah, I don't think so. Now, we have one more travelling suspect. <laughs> All these travelling suspects. And his name is Carl Fiegenbaum. Now, Fagenbaum went to trial in October 1894 for the brutal murder of his landlady, Juliana Hoffman, who he stabbed to death in the USA. He would be found guilty and executed. As soon as he was dead, though, his lawyer, William Lawton, was like, oh, my God, thank God he's finally dead. I can finally speak about some stuff that I've not been able to speak about. He said that in representing him, he had come to learn that his client had constant homicidal urges where he wanted to kill and mutilate every woman that he saw. Now, on hearing this, Lawton starts to think, hmm, this sounds an awful lot like the Ripper murders. Now, at first he never comes out and asks him if he is Jack the Ripper as he wants him to actually, like, confess on his own if he is. But he does ask him if he was in London in 1888. To this question, he answers yes, and then goes really quiet, like he knew what he was implying. So Lawton looks into his travel records, as he was known to travel around quite a lot around the world. He confirms that he had actually been in London during the Ripper murders. So he thinks, stuff it, and just comes out and flat out asks him. To this, he gives a pretty cryptic answer. He says, the Lord was responsible for his acts, and to only him would he confess. So, I don't know. I mean, to me, I would have been like, no, I asked you if you were Jack the Ripper, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's not what I asked you. <laughs> yeah. So, 
Interesting, though, that the lawyer thought that it was him. What do you reckon? Um, uh, why do these people always keep their mouth shut for so long? Yeah. Well, I don't know whether he came out and said it at the time and it's only just been discovered. I don't know. It was sort of brought to the attention of the world in 2005 when the author Trevor Marriott published a book called Jack the Ripper, the 20th, 21st Century Investigation. Um, he found out about Lawton's theory when he was exploring his hunch that the Ripper was like a seaman of some type, like he would actually come and go from yeah. some stuff because Whitechapel was near the docks um, and it would be really easy for him to disappear afterwards. So that was kind of his hunch. So he looked into it more. But then um, wouldn't we see copycat, so to speak, copycat attacks around the world that the the ripperologists would have um, discovered by now? Well, that's it. And he did. He actually does go through and he actually tracks Fagenbaum's movements over a few years and he discovers um, similar sort of murder cases. Uh, January 1889 in Hiragara, October 1889 in Germany, April 1890 in Germany, December 1890 in Switzerland, October 1891 in Germany and April 1892 in Germany. And then in August 1894 in New York City, that was Mrs. Hoffman that he actually got done for. So there were other, also other dates in America um, in there as well, April 1890, 1891 and January 1892. So it seems as though he did go around killing a lot of, well, if, if he was responsible for all of these, he was going around killing a lot of people. We don't know if he did, though. This is just somebody putting his movements together with murders that were happening at the time. Are the murders the same, though? Um, I think that they did involve, when I was looking them up, they all involved some level of mutilation or um, violent sort of frenzied attack. Very specific sort of mutilation stuff happening here, though. That's the thing. People can mutilate when they murder, but this is very much... Very specific. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... So, yeah, like, oh, this body was mutilated in blah, blah when he was there, but that could have just been, I mean, mutilation's very vague in mm. as far as the description. Like, we're talking, like, intestines placed over left shoulder. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's probably worth, like, reading that book. It sounds like it would be quite interesting if you sort of bought into this theory to go in and look at it a little bit closer. Yeah. yeah. So it's called Jack the Ripper, the 21st century investigation by Trevor Marriott. So, so yeah, I did sort of see in that, that there were cases wherever he seemed to be in port in different countries, women were getting killed quite horrifically. So interesting, I think. Yeah, no, still interesting. Definitely. Definitely. But Hmm. whether they are the same style is yeah exactly yeah and because it was so so long ago and in like random countries like you would take a lot to actually track track it all down so yeah and I mean just because he he may have been in the vicinity of those places doesn't mean he was doesn't mean you know he was there at that exact time this is all like he could have been there at this time you know Mm. I mean there's no way of knowing exactly where he was over those years so um you know we can't say for sure that he was responsible for those murders but it is interesting though that he was in London during the Ripper murders that to me like we need to actually link the person who is the suspect to that period 
in that time. You know what I mean? Like you actually have to say they were there in Whitechapel at that time. Yeah. And we can say that about him. So, so yeah, I, I don't know. He's a, he's a maybe for me, I think. Maybe, yeah, maybe. Yeah. He makes more sense than many of the others. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. Now, one more suspense, suspect that I think warrants a mention, and this one is my favourite and on top of the list for me. So get ready. Here we go. Um, now, for, the reason why he is on top of the list, you'll, you'll realise in a moment, but, I mean, simply he was in the immediate vicinity. We know that he was. Um, for at least one of the murders. So let's go back to the first part of this episode when we were actually talking about the murders and the very first murder. Now, you remember that the body of Polly Nichols, who was the first murder, was found by a man who at first thought that she was a tarp in the road. And then as he got closer to her, he realised that she was a bundle of fabric and then realised that she was a woman. Now, he called over a man who walked up to come and see that woman, you know, and they both decided, "Mm, yeah, let's just put a skirt down and be on our way. Yeah. Well, this guy that found her, his name was Charles Lechmere, and he was a meat cart driver. He says that he came across her body and moments later the other man came across there and he called him over. Now, that man's name was Robert Paul. Now, have a think about it. Remember we were talking about how you couldn't really see? You're like you're using a gas lantern and you're holding yeah. it. So where he said that he was was actually not near where her body was. She was kind of up against a building and he was in the road. So there's questions about how he even saw her to start with. Now, Robert Paul, the man that he called over, um, said that when he came over there and had a look and realised that it was a woman, There was no blood near her body at all, nothing at all. So that's why they kind of went, "Mm, maybe she's drunk. You know, we don't really know what's going on here. And they didn't really 100% realise that she was dead. So they just fixed her skirts for modesty and went on their way. Now, within minutes, the police constable came and found her body, discovered her body officially, at which time there was a huge pool of blood around her head and neck because, remember, she'd just about been decapitated. So this suggests to me that her throat had been cut very close to the time that Robert actually saw her, hadn't had a chance to pull around her yet. Now, Robert says that he suggested that they prop her up just in case she was drunk, but Lechmere refused. He he wasn't going to touch her. He didn't want to move her at all. If they had, they, they had to try to prop her up against the building, they would have seen that her head was pretty much cut off her body. So with other victims, he mutilated a lot more and also posed them so their wounds were on display, but not with Polly. She wasn't posed. Now, this could be escalation, obviously. Um, and, and also her clothes were mostly covering her wounds because obviously neither of them saw the wounds. So this suggests, of course, that Charles was actually interrupted in the middle of killing her. And when he saw Robert walk up in a panic, he covered her a bit and pretended that he just found her. So the police did question him and gave him, and he actually gave a fake name. Um, he called himself Charles Cross and didn't offer his testimony either. He actually was only discovered because Robert had said, oh, there was another guy here as well, you know. So there has been a documentary made about this that I actually saw quite a few years ago. And I remember seeing it and thinking, oh, that's, that's really compelling. And it wasn't until I started researching it again that I saw how much was actually true, this theory. So 
Um, if you want to go see, I can't even remember what the, the documentary is called, but it is very interesting. So now what they discovered when they looked into this guy was that his, his home to work route that he work, walked every single day and his work schedule places him at the sites and times of the murders um, and also the murder of Martha Tabron, which is one of those suspected victims as well. On the night of the double event, he had the night off, but Liz Stride was murdered on what would have been the route to his mother's house. He also fit the profile and that of many serial killers as well. So he grew up having never known his biological father. He had two stepfathers though. He had an unstable childhood moving around a lot. He was also, of course, a meat cart driver. So being covered in blood would not have been an odd thing. And he lived right in the area. So what do you think? Yeah, that's him. Yeah, I think so. I think he's a really good candidate, right? It's the best candidate of all. Yeah. I mean, take away all of this, like, dramatic serial killer travelling from here and there and famous people and all of that. Let's just go back to basics. The dude that found the first woman, maybe it's him, you know? Yeah. And, yeah, like you said, he is halfway through cutting her up and some other guy walks past. It's like, oh, oh, um, look, I just found a drunk lady. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, leave her be. She'll be right, you know? Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, just look at his statement, right? He says that he's walking in the middle of the road and saw a woman laying near a building. Well, how do you do that if you've only got a gas lantern for lighting? Yeah. He he says that he was standing there in the road when Robert came by and he called him over. But Robert says, no, he was standing over the body. So there's a discrepancy there to start with. Mm. Uh, yeah, I just don't think he would have been able to see her in that light unless you were actually on top of her, you know. In, in fact, the person that found Catherine Eddowes actually said that he essentially like tripped over her because he didn't see her till he was literally on top of her. So that's how mm-hmm. dark it was back then, you know. Mm. Look, he was a local. He would have been walking past each murder scene at that time of that murder every single time. And he gave a false name. So he didn't want to be t- spoken to by the police. Now, we we only have a picture of him as in a photograph of him as an older man. So we can't actually see if he matches the description or anything like that. But he would have been 39 at the time. So puts him close to the uh, profile point there. Um, The only thing that gives me pause is that he stayed living in the area until his death in 1920, age 71. Yeah, why did he stop? He would have just stopped. Yeah, that's it. Um, And why start at all to start with, you know? Like there's a lot of questions there around that sort of thing. Well, they did actually discover that just before the murders started, he did move away from his home where his mother and one of his children lived. So that could have been a potential trigger. I don't know what the circumstances of him having to leave the family home were, but perhaps it triggered him, whatever it was. And I mean, we know that serial killers can stop. Like I said before, look at this Claremont killer. He stopped. Yeah. Maybe he just satisfies his urges when he could spend a lot more time mutilating Mary. Yeah. Um, you know, and that got it out of his system for a while. I don't know. Yeah. So so who are you liking as the Ripper after all of that? Him. Yep. Yeah. And the prince just because. Yeah, just because you like your conspiracies, your royal conspiracies. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like 20% Karl Freidelberg, which was the German guy that was potentially travelling all around the world. Yeah. Like maybe... 
70% Charles Charlie boy who discovered the body and maybe yeah. like 10% some rando that we haven't heard of yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But if I had to put money on it, I'd say Charles. Um, you know, he fits the profile and he had proximity and he was a meat cart driver. So if he was seen with blood all over him. Yeah, definitely that. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that is who I think Jack the Ripper might be. Last thoughts? No, not really. No? I think, again, I just don't think we'll ever know. Yeah. There's Uh, nothing that's ever going to prove it, I don't think. Yeah. I think that the only thing that will ever prove it is if some sort of confession is found, much like the diary that was found, but is actually true. How are you? That's the thing, though. Yeah, but you have to. Confession can come forward. Confession can come out, but we'll never really actually know if it's true. And you would need to have some sort of like corroborating evidence to support it. Yeah. because, you know, we're way past the point of deathbed confessions now. These people are mm. all truly dead. Mm. So you'd need something to back it up, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what that would be. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's such an interesting case. And, um, obviously, there is such thing as a ripperologist. So lots of people love this this case. No, nah, there's just, it's I don't know, it's just such an old classic story. There isn't really anything else I can add to it that most don't already know. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't realize there was so many suspects, and there's more. Like you can go for days and days yeah. looking for the suspects. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I just feel like there's just people out there that are just so desperate to find the answer that they're willing to look at any potential person because we must know. Surely there's someone out there, something out there. It's like no, I think you just got to let this one go. Mm anything i just don't think there will ever be any concrete evidence that will really make me go yeah it's a hundred percent this person because any evidence that comes forward there's just always going to be a question mark next to it and old old evidence as well yeah yeah i feel like over the years the all of the newer theories that keep coming up are people that want to be the one to discover the thing that nobody else has ever seen before. Well, that's it, yeah. I mean, especially that whole suspect that came to Australia and buried his families under the concrete. Like, I feel like that's literally someone just going, wow, this guy's a bit of a sicko. What did he do? Hang on a second. He came from Whitechapel around the same time as Jack the Ripper. Yeah, that's just... Yeah, I don't know. That's kind of just like really trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. Yeah, Yeah. that's what I mean. There's just like... Yeah, the guy was a fucking psycho, but that doesn't mean he was Jack the Ripper. Little, 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 you know, hot tip. There's lots of psychos in the world. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, yeah, just because someone killed their family and buried them under concrete doesn't mean they're Jack the Ripper. Exactly. If you think that way, they could be one, they could have been any of the other unsolved serial killer. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I think that the chances that he left England and went to another country are slim just because I think he would have stayed where he was comfortable and he knew the area and he lived close by and he had all of those things that were like access and all of that. Yeah. Um, And, you know, I think that to really get close to discovering who did this, you do need to almost like mentally transplant yourself into those days and stand there, like visualise yourself standing there at 2 o'clock in the morning in the pitch black, only holding a lantern. 
and really think to yourself, like, how do you go about perpetrating these murders in the pitch black unless you know the place really well, you know the routines of the police that walk past all the time because they were going past like every 15 minutes, you know, knowing that if you needed to run, you could run home or run to work where, you know, you could hide in plain sight sort of thing. I think it would have had to have been a local because you don't want to look like that stranger on the street. You want to be the person yeah. that everyone sees all the time. You know, oh, that's just Charlie. You know, he yeah. he works on the docks or whatever. Yeah. And I just feel like he, Charlie, was in the right place at the right time and we can prove that through his work records. We know that he had some sort of upheaval before the murder started. As I said, my only question mark is why he stopped. Mm. yeah maybe he just got it out of his system or decided that he was too close to getting caught I don't know Mm. or maybe he did like you know make amends with his family or something like that and things got better in his actual life yeah yeah that need to do it anymore so but I do think it is extremely suspect when someone claims to have seen a dead body in the pitch black and then says oh no I was standing in the street when I saw it but the guy who actually came up afterwards went no he was standing right over the top of the body yeah Um, yeah that's dodgy to me yeah so yeah I'm liking Charlie I reckon he's he's on my shit list yeah Charlie all the prints for me (laughs) yeah well everyone tell us what you think we'd love to discuss this one and see what everyone thinks um is there someone we haven't mentioned maybe um, you know, maybe there's someone we have missed completely. I did spend days researching this episode, so I hope I haven't missed anyone, but <laughs> I'm sure that I've missed a lot of them, but only for the fact that I've gone, nah, I can't see anything in that. So yeah, yeah. So yeah, let us know what you think on Facebook and Instagram. And um, yeah, happy one year anniversary to us. Happy one year anniversary. Yay. All right, everyone, we will see you next week. Bye. Bye.